evening, gentlemen. It is indeed an honor to be here. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I could pretty easily find my way up to this mountain. And uh, I found my way to our, our cabin pretty easily. And I found my way into the dining room for that fantastic meal. But I'm not exactly sure how I found my way up here being before you tonight. <laughs> and uh, others may have something to say about that, but um, have any of you ever just, have you felt unworthy? Let me see a show of hands. Amen. I'm among friends. That is fantastic. That's good. I just wanted to confirm that. Let me just start by uh, opening with a word of prayer, and we're going to jump into this, this material. God, we do come before you tonight with uh, humble hearts, knowing that you are our sustenance, you keep us, you hold us, and uh, we just praise you for this place. Lord, I submit to you now, and I just praise you for this opportunity. I ask that your spirit would move among us and just uh, challenge us and uh, draw us a little closer to your side tonight. Lord, I pray for this time and give it to you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, I've only got about 30 minutes with you tonight, gentlemen, and um, ideally we could spend about 29 minutes in prayer, and uh, that'd give me about 60 seconds to read some scripture and we could go on. But I know nobody's, I know Mark Ramey, for one, is not going to let me get away with that, so we're not going to do that. Um, what I'd like to do, why don't you, let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And while we're turning there, I know there's somebody here that can quote that. Does anybody here can do that for us? Don't be shy. Who are you pointing to? Eddie? Therefore. Or read it if you have to. Go for it. All right. John told me to stall on purpose for him. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. All right. Mark brought up verse 2 of that earlier. I just want to mention, it's a loaded passage. And um, what I'd like to do is walk through some of that passage with you tonight. Let me just start by saying, by just by way of introduction, that in a group this size, there are certainly some of you here tonight that may not know the Lord Jesus. And my hope is that through the things that are said this weekend and um, what goes on here, that God will draw you into a relationship with him. Also, I know for a fact that many of you here tonight are running the race well. And you may even be finishing well. And I dare say others of you might be considering checking out. And unfortunately, there may be others 
that have already checked out. But you've come here reluctantly, but you're here nevertheless. And um, so I just say that as a challenge. Over the past few years that I've been coming up to this retreat, I've invited numerous men to come, and um, two of them have checked out, relatively close friends, seemingly running the race well, but they've decided that conforming to the world was an option, and they took it. And um, it's very difficult to know how to deal with those situations, but it happens. So let me just very briefly suggest what I think happens behind the scenes. When we embrace a temporal perspective, that leads us to illusions. And illusions take us to deception. And once we've fallen prey to deception, a doorstep away is unbelief. We very quickly say, God, I don't need you. I'm going to do it my own way. Very easily happens. So, but there is good news. If we want to be functioning Christ followers, if we want to be engaged in discipleship, as we're talking about, if we want to be sharing the gospel, if we want to be tuned in to the Lord Jesus, listening to what he has to say for us, then we've got to strive to see as God sees. Is that not true? We've got to strive to think like Jesus. That's the challenge. How do you view your parents? How do you view your children? Do you view your children as an obstacle, or do you view them as an opportunity? Or, for example, how do you view pornography? Do you view it as an opportunity, or do you view it as an obstacle? So many questions like this come up, and um, we call it perspective or worldview. What kind of lenses do we put on? How do we see The Apostle Paul calls this, in Ephesians chapter 1, the eyes of the heart. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail as we go. But I want you to keep that sort of in the back of your mind, that phrase, the eyes of your heart. What does it look like for you? Now, in addition to that, whenever I've come into this retreat, it seems I always leave with more questions than I do answers. Undoubtedly. So this year I've brought four of my own. Get ahead of the game a little bit. And we're going to walk through these questions together relatively quickly. And um, we're just going to jump right into the first question. I will say, though, that these questions pertain to Paul's admonition to be transformed in a biblical perspective. What does that look like? That's where we're going tonight. So everybody in this room has an eternal perspective, okay? Whether by choice or by ignorance, we have one. Consider with me the Mormon, the Jehovah's Witness, the the Buddhist. They all have an eternal perspective. Granted, it's based on an untruth, but it is one. Even the atheist would probably admit to an eternal perspective. Simply believes there is none. So, As we walk through this, I want you to consider two examples. One, I ran across a gentleman by the name of Rudolf Haas. Some of you may may know that name. He was a commandant at Auschwitz. And uh, he was responsible for the death of thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And um, 
He was caught after the war. He was imprisoned, later hung. But during his imprisonment, he wrote many memoirs. And in those memoirs, he said that he had no regret for what he had done. Zip. And the people that knew him didn't say he was a monster. He was an average man. He was balding, as a matter of fact, just like me. <laughs> he was an average man. But in those memoirs, he said that the only thing he regretted about his whole experience was he didn't spend time, more time with his family. How ironic, huh? And a, f a few months ago, I ran into a guy at Home Depot who was selling carpets. And he had a big tent set up, and I, I walked up, and we started talking about these carpets. And I noticed he had a Bible sitting there. So I engaged him, and I said, do you believe everything written in that book? And he sort of took back a little bit, and he said, yeah, I believe everything written in that book. And I got all excited, and I said, well, hey, this is great, opportunity to encourage another believer. And right about when I said that, or I thought that, he said, except for that part about Jesus. And then... <laughs> And then everything changed, you know. E squared, you're jumping back and forth, aren't we? Everything changed. I bring up these examples to make the point is it's possible to have a skewed perspective. It's possible to have a perspective that is unbiblical, even anti-biblical. And Scripture speaks very consistently regarding this subject, using words like, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. Be sober in spirit. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, think about these things, right? And Paul, if you notice in the, in the chapter just before this, before he finishes his chapters 1 through 11 on the sanctification and faith and justification issues, he says at the very end, right before this passage that we're dealing with, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Talk about perspective, huh? So I just want you to note also as an aside with respect to this issue, if you're thinking about it, it may seem elementary, but faith is not the same thing as perspective. They're, they're different. Faith is part of perspective, but our faith is simply our commitment to God before we know the outcome. Perspective is how we view the world, how we view reality. Uh, what, what lenses do we have on? Okay? So very important to keep in mind, as we walk through this subject, we're talking about a biblical eternal perspective. I'm going to say perspective. I'm going to say eternal perspective. I'm going to, but keep in mind, it's a biblical perspective that we're going to be talking about. Okay? So, question number two. Since the believer's called to it, we should be able to maintain it. Right? Let's think about this for a minute. In this passage in Romans 12, Paul makes it very clear that conforming and transforming are in opposition to one another. They're different sides of the coin, if you will. And then we have to make a choice. Every one of us in this room could go down from this mountain and decide we're going to conform to the world. But the believer has a different call. The believer's call is to eliminate options. We've got to, in our mind and in our heart, say, that's not going to be an option for me. Paul says... Don't do it. So I, I liken it to switches. And I would suggest that everybody here in, on this mountain has switches in their brains. Now, granted, God may have created you with one big switch, or you may have numerous switches. 
But nevertheless, it's true. We all have switches. And what happens is we put our hands up on the switch, and it's very easy to flip back and forth between the temporal and the eternal, is it not? I imagine everybody here knows exactly what I'm talking about. So you're going to work one morning, and um, you've got money on your mind. You've got a big business deal. Your boss says, if you're going to be late, you're going to be fired. Or you've got a big, a big deal going down, and if you're late, kiss it all goodbye. Right about that time, you see an elderly woman along the side of the road. She's clear need of help. And you sense the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. What do you do? What do you do? Well, gentlemen, I would say most of the time we begin to negotiate with God. And we decide what's more important. We get our hands on the switches and we try to negotiate. The second part I want you to notice about this question is that conforming to the world is the natural path. Left to our own devices, left alone, we will conform. And I liken it also to uh, being in a foreign country. Um, I was able to go to France some time ago, didn't speak the language, didn't know what to eat, didn't know where to drive, and all I wanted to do was conform. Some of you may, have, may know about that. It's all you want to do. It's a natural path. We just want to fit in. We don't want to stick out. But God has called the believer to a different standard. The Apostle Paul knew this pretty well. You don't have to turn there. But in Galatians 5, Paul makes a very interesting statement. He says, The spirit and the flesh are in conflict with one another so that we do not do what we want or please. They're in opposition with one another. So there's clearly tension that we have to deal with and have to live with as believers. And I, I have a third point, and that is respect to Paul when he says, renew in this passage. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's he talking about? Well, upon further study of this, it came out that this word has renovate at its root. And for those of you guys that are in construction, um, you can associate with this. What do you have to do to build a new building? You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a team of professionals. You've got to have money. You've got to have a plan for demolition. So the owner gets his certificate of occupancy, and he moves in. But what happens? At that very moment, the movers come in with all their stuff, and they bang up the sheetrock, Right? place begins to fall apart, begins to degrade. And so I say that as an example because I cannot find anywhere in Scripture where it teaches that the renovation of our mind will be complete until we see Him, until we are with our Lord. Then it will be complete. Bob Foster probably have a few things to say about that this weekend. And listening to him, it's very interesting to hear what he has to say about renewing of the mind. Sticking with it, committed till the end. So we've got to ask ourselves, in our heart of hearts, do we really believe that we're here to prepare for eternity? Do we truly believe that as we start to put our hands on the switches? Now let me just mention a couple examples that I ran across that are very intriguing. 
As you walk through Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, you find a few kings that are, t- that are talked about. And I just want to mention four of them. Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amon, and Josiah. And it always baffled me as to why it says in Scripture, this king honored God all his life, or did good in the sight of God, and such and such, or this king did evil in the sight of God. Always amazed me. Why is that? So upon further notice, I want you to, I want you to listen to what, is it, uh, listen to what Hezekiah said. He gave no return to God later in his life, but then he was humbled and restored. Manasseh paid no attention, and he was humbled and restored. Amon, on the other hand, did not humble himself. He was killed. Very short section about Amon. Josiah, same kind of thing, but he did not listen, and he was killed toward the end of his life. Very interesting to see what happens with these kings. So guys, in a blink of an eye, we can be walking all of our life with him. And in one moment, flip the switches and turn it all off. That's a scary thought. That is a sobering thought. But I think that's part of the point that Paul's making in this passage. That we've got to be tuned in to God. Consistently tuned in. Let's move on to the third question then. Oh, back up one, Tom. One more. There we go. Thank you. Can we see in the temporal with perfect vision? Now, it seems, it seems elementary. Can we, can we see perfectly? I'd like to first call your attention to uh, 1 John, chapter 2, or, or chapter 3. I'm sorry, we're not going to go there. But it's one of my favorite passages, and John states in this passage, I think it's uh, verses 2 and 3, he states, when he appears, when Christ appears, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. So for the time being, we've got to walk by faith. We simply do not know, and we can't see perfectly. Recently, a gentleman came into my office, uh, a business associate, and we started small talk in a little bit, and uh, mentioned that he grew up in Utah. So I said, hmm, interesting. So are you a Mormon? He said, yeah, I grew up Mormon. I grew up in a very staunch Mormon family. But then, he said, I started studying their doctrine and realized it was a bunch of bunk, is what he said. But then he proceeded to tell me that He's gravitated towards science. He wants science to prove what's going on with eternity. He wants to see perfectly. And so we had a conversation about faith, and we talked a little bit about that and what it looked like. But we gravitate toward wanting to know factually. We want to see. The second point with respect to this question is a little bit more difficult, and I bring it up with some reservation, but I think it needs to be mentioned. And uh, that is that Paul says in this passage that we can prove the will of God. What in the world is he talking about? Pretty inflammatory. You can prove the will of God. Well, let me just suggest very briefly two things. One, what I believe this verse is not saying. One, what I believe it is. 
What I believe this verse is saying is that if we are engaged in Scripture, if we are in His Word, studying God's Word, then we can prove it. (laughs) Right? God outlines certain things in this Scripture that are commands that we're called to obey. So if a brother comes to you and he says, I'm going to divorce my wife and I'm going to marry my secretary. What do you think? Well, I can say at that point, let's see what God has to say about it. We can approve and test God's will. Okay? So if we're learning to think like Jesus, then it makes it a lot easier to approve his will. Yes? Now here's the interesting part. What I believe this is not saying is that in the areas of conviction, we can know the will of God. We can prove the will of God. We have to be very careful when we talk about his will because it can lead us down roads that we may not want to go. And so... It makes me very nervous when I hear guys say, it is God's will for me to marry this woman, or it is God's will for me to do this business deal. It's very touchy ground that we're standing on. All we have to simply say is, I, I, I trust God and I believe this is the thing I ought to do. And it's very easy to get off track if we start thinking that we know the will of God beyond what he's provided for us the windows into eternity that he's provided, his commands. So I'm going to leave that one right where it is, and we're just going to move right on. <laughs> yeah. So if we can't see perfectly, it's difficult to maintain, what do we do? What's the big deal? What is the big deal with an eternal perspective? And I, as, you, as you walk through Scripture, guys, you'll find that there are many, many wonderful things that are, yes, benefits, also results of having an eternal perspective. But I'd like to share with you tonight just two a little bit more obscure things that you may not have thought about. I didn't think about them as I walked through this. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 13, if you would. And if somebody could read that a little quicker than Eddie, that would, that would be great. <laughs> I didn't get a CSU. <laughs> <laughs> somebody read uh, Hebrews thirteen twelve to 14 for me. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. One more. One more. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Yeah. Guys, that's powerful stuff. Think about that. Think about what he says. Outside the gate. That's where they used to throw the refuse after animal sacrifices. Carcasses. The writer of Hebrews is calling the believer to go stand with Jesus, bearing his reproach outside the gate. That's amazing. 
So there's one common misconception, even among believers, and that is that if we put our trust in God, we do our best to obey Him, we do our best to attain an eternal perspective, then life will be just fine. And that is simply not the truth. We've got to come to grips with that as we walk with Jesus. The other point I'd like to mention is found in Ephesians. Flip back a few books to Ephesians chapter 1. If someone could read Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 for me, that'd be great. Don't be shy. Shoot it out there. TJ. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Yeah. So Paul states here, after the first part of chapter 1, after establishing the believer's inheritance, after confirming the believer's hope, he prays for the believer. When I first read this, I thought, well, he's praying for the non-believer, isn't he? He's praying for enlightenment in these areas. What in the world? But he's praying for the believer. And that was very sobering to me as I walked through this. He prays for enlightenment in three areas. The hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of his power toward the believer. So we got a lot of things wrapped up there. The hope of being with Jesus rewards the fact that it's imperishable, undefiled, as Peter puts it, what we have in him, and his power through Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit. Holy cow, this is too much. So the title of this is The Eyes of the Heart. And um, I figured when in doubt, not knowing what in the world to name something like this, go to Paul. He's got something to say about it. So guys... I want you to think about that. If you don't remember anything else about what I've said, think about the eyes of your heart. What do they look like? Have you efforted to work on them? Do we see everything through the eyes of the world or through the eyes of the heart? It goes beyond what we see with our eyeballs. Way beyond. So let me just suggest four applications for you in conclusion. And I think my time will be up. Tom, you can go to the first one there. We've talked about this briefly already, but as I've walked through this material, it dawned on me that we've got to understand that the temporal is simply a tool, like a chisel or a hammer. The temporal is simply a tool for doing two things. 
sharing the gospel or encouraging the believer. That's it. I can't find any other relationship that God addresses in Scripture. He simply doesn't mention the non-Christian to the non-Christian. Those are the only two that he mentions. So many times what happens as businessmen particularly is that we use the spiritual to get to the business deal. Right? But when in fact we should be using the business deal to get to the spiritual. And we get that out of whack so quickly. Just like that. Now, does this mean we shouldn't hope for temporal things? Absolutely not. But when we start putting our hope in them, then we start to get off balance. Application number two. Deception and eternal perspective are directly proportional. So as one increases, the other decreases. So if we set out to be renewed by his word, by God's leading, then the chances of being deceived are greatly reduced. It goes way down. But on the other hand, if we set out to conform to the world, then eternal perspective isn't seen much of. Mark Ramey brought this up with me, and I think I'd, I, I mentioned it. It's an interesting point. It might be even one of Walt's devotion, in his devotional, but the idea of asking ourselves, at what point are we willing to cave in? Where is it in our life that we're willing to, to exchange the temple for the eternal? Where, where does that, what does that look like for you? Application number three. Obedience is the genesis to doing this. If we want to know where to start, if you're asking where in the world should I start, start with obedience. Because as we effort to think like Jesus and effort to do what he says, then it will become much more clear. Even when we don't want to obey him, we step out on faith, we do it, and then we look back on our life and we say... How could I have been so dumb? And as we saw in the example of the kings of Judah, it's very simple to live your life for 50 years and start putting your hand on the switches. And I like to say this to guys. If you're not putting ourselves in positions of dependence upon God, God will probably do it. And so I suggest to men, as I interact with them, that look for opportunities to put yourself in a position of faith. In big decisions of life, does it make you more comfortable or does it put you in a position to be dependent? And that is so hard to do, guys. It really is hard to do. The last application is that a temporal perspective is correlated to pride and eternal perspective is correlated to humility. And I'm not exactly sure which one comes first, but they're definitely correlated. 
As I look back in my life and I can see where I became prideful in a certain situation, I started putting on the spectacles of the world. I can also look back in times when it was not that was not, 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 not the case, when the opposite was true. So ask yourselves this question. When you're in the middle of a trial, what do you think about? When you're going through the tough stuff, what do you think about? Think about how you want to get out? You think about, I know, I know such and such I can bring down with me. Do you succumb to bitterness? You know, what, what, is, what goes through your mind in those trials? So humility and pride, opposite ends of the spectrum. Let me just suggest one last thing with respect to that, and that is that the two areas that I see that probably many of you do also is the two areas that play itself out with this is the marketplace and the home. If you want to find out how you're doing with a with a uh, eternal perspective, go talk to your wife or your kids or your family members. In the marketplace, maybe even more pronounced there. So, guys, that's all I have. I'm out of time. Let me just conclude by mentioning again the eyes of the heart. Keeping our hands off the switches and considering the eyes of our hearts. Thank you very much for your time.